Good morning again. So glad you're here today. If you're online with us, we hope you're enjoying the morning as well. So last week we began... Are these screens out? They're not working, Dustin. And I don't remember what I was starting with. <laughs> so I have cheater screens down here, and they're really, really helpful. Um, I'll, I'll borrow yours for a minute. But, but last week, um, we started this new series called History. And in this series, what we're doing is kind of going back to the basics of our faith and kind of the foundations as we look at history, which is really his story. It is the story of God at work in our world. Thank you so much, Dustin. And so last week we looked at the Bible, and last week we said the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It records supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claims the writings are divine rather than human in origin. And if you missed last week, I would love to encourage you to go check that out as we talk about where the Bible actually came from, how we got it. Just really quick overview. The Bible is 66 books written down by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages over about a 1,500-year period, all telling the same story. It is the story of God. And the Bible really is a retelling and remembering of the great acts of God in the history to redeem and restore his good world. And so God is living and active in our world, and he gave us his word to help us walk through this, but not just simply for our help, but also to tell his story to his good creation, to remind us what he is doing in this world and how he is at work. And so this week, I want to kind of do just a crash course real quick on broken relationships, and I'll explain why we're going to do that in a few minutes. But have you ever experienced a broken relationship? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a marriage that was broken. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was in a relationship with a friend, maybe a, a, a co-worker, uh, maybe a family, your children or your parents. But, but I would imagine if we went through all of it and we, we kind of got through everyone in here, every single person in here, in some form or fashion, has experienced a broken relationship, where, where that relationship has been fractured. And if we were to do an autopsy of it, if we were to kind of look at that relationship and what it was that broke it, to tore it apart, I'm sure we would find things like dishonesty, disloyalty, Anger, addiction, abuse, pride, jealousy, lust, selfishness, immorality. And at the core of that relationship, what broke it apart, what fractured it, was a power that was at work within our life. And, and here's the thing. If you have broken relationships... There are two people in that relationship. We, we always like to say, well, I was the one that was right. I was the one who had it together. If it wasn't for this other person. But here's the truth of the matter. In any relationship, there are two people. And in any relationship, 
Two people cause the fracture. Two people cause the brokenness. And so the reason I want to do kind of a crash course in broken relationships is because I think we need to understand where those broken relations come from and what the cause of them is, and then not only what the cause of them is, is what they are doing to us in our world. So um, in this history lesson, we're going to go back and we're going to begin in the beginning. As it says, God speaks into the darkness and creates this new world. And as a part of this new world, he places man and woman in a garden. And he calls them image bearers. That they would represent God in this world. They would bear his image. So that the world would know what God is like through his good creation. And so he puts man and woman into this garden. And he tells them that they can eat from any tree in the garden except for the one tree in the middle of the garden. And so man and woman have this relationship with one another. They have this relationship with God. And everything works in beautiful harmony. They, they see the goodness of God's world in its vast array. Everywhere they look is God's goodness. And it says there is a serpent that comes along and entices the man and woman. Lures them. Convinces them to eat from the one tree that God said you should not eat. Because everything in the garden is yours. But there is this one tree. And the serpent comes along. And the very first thing the serpent does is accuse God of holding out on man and woman. Did, did God say you shouldn't eat that? God just doesn't want you to experience the fullness of life. God doesn't want you to see the world as he sees it. And so the woman takes the fruit and eats it. And I want you to listen to this next part of the story. It's in Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then verse 8, maybe the most the saddest verse in all of Scripture. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So you have man and woman here in the garden in this perfect union with God and with one another. See, the beauty of this first relationship as God puts them together is through this union they became one flesh. They were together. There was oneness. But what happens as sin enters the world is it begins to divide that relationship. 
And where there was oneness, there is now this division. Because when God asks what they have done, the man looks and automatically points his finger at the woman. And he says, no, 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 it's this woman that you put here. So from this oneness, now there is this otherness. They, they see not one, but they see this other person that you put here with me. And the same thing the serpent did in the beginning, in blaming and accusing God, seeps into man's heart as man starts to blame and accuse his wife. And the woman then turns and starts to blame and accuse the serpent. And there is this fracturing that takes place. See, the, the name Satan is a Hebrew word, ha-satan, and it means the accuser. And so what Satan does, he comes in with his bag of tricks, and he says, this person, this God who you think loves you, who think, you think cares about you, is actually holding out on you. And that blame and accusation begins to seep into the relationship. And now where there was oneness, there is now this other person that you put here with me. It's their fault. And this relationship is fractured. Because man and woman were given this choice. God says, my creation is good and everything in my creation is good. And it's good for you except for this one tree. God defines for man and woman good and evil, right and wrong. And man and woman choose their own path. They choose to redefine good and evil in their terms. And as they redefine good and evil, brokenness comes into this world. You see, here's the amazing part of creation. God spoke into the nothingness and created this world. He spoke into the nothingness and created. Words have the power to create new worlds. But in the same way that God's word created a new world of goodness, man's word creates a new world of brokenness, of division. No, it was this other person you put here with me. They gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And brokenness becomes a part of this new creation. It's almost as if man and woman, through their voice, recreate the world. They recreate their image that was supposed to be in the image of God, now in the image of the Satan with blame and accusation as a part of it. And man and woman are put on the outside of the garden, and they find themselves on the outside of God's good world looking in. And then it says in verse 24 of chapter 3, After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So after 
this brokenness becomes a part of the fabric of the new creation. They're placed on the outside of the garden. Which direction are they facing? East. See, it begins this journey eastward. And what we're going to see time and time again is man moving eastward. And in the Hebrew concept, eastward is always this idea of away from the presence of God. It's continually moving further and further and further away from God's presence and His goodness. But even despite man's choices, even despite the choice of man, God still promises to rescue and redeem. He still promises to rescue and redeem His good creation. And now you have this brokenness, this otherness between this couple. And this couple, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, have children. And can you imagine what seeps into their relationship? Blame and accusation, brokenness and despair. Because they have these two boys named Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel these sons are kind of chips off the old blocks. As they bring first fruit offerings, one from the, the cattle, one from the fruit of the land. And it says that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but with Cain's, he was not. And you can ask, well, how, how, how do we know, how did they know that? Here, here's my guess. My, my guess is that one of them had great returns that next year. And they felt like God was blessing them. That, that's just my guess. We don't really know. Maybe God spoke to them. Verb, I don't know how that happens. But one of them is disappointed. And he's frustrated. Because it seems like God blessed his brother and not him can't be happy for his brother, but he's angry. And God looks and says, why? Why are you angry? Why are you angry? And then for the very first time, there's a word that shows up in the Bible, going verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. So this word sin is the very first time it shows up in all of Scripture. Why are you angry? He asks. And then immediately he tells him, sin is crouching. It's almost this idea of this, this lion that, that's just waiting there, hiding, waiting to devour you the second you step over the line. The, the second you do what you should not do. Waiting for you to kill you. The, the Hebrew word for sin is chata. And it means simply to fail or miss the goal. 
So then the question is, wait, God hasn't really given any commands up to this point. So, so what is the goal if, if there's not any commandments? If there were not really any rules, the, the rule was don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. But other than that, what was it? And I think it was simply to bear God's image in this world. To be these divine image bearers that represent God and his goodness to his creation. That was the goal. And Adam and Eve failed to live up to that. They, they missed the goal. Cain and Abel, they failed to miss up to that. They missed the goal. As they contribute to the brokenness and despair, where they have a choice to bring restoration and healing and forgiveness into the world. Instead, they perpetuate the problem. That it gets worse and is broken more and more as they fail to be God's image bearers. And here's the crazy thing. Is there is a divine nudge from God. God tells them, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And he warns him. Sin is crouching at your door. Don't give in to it. Don't allow it to become part of your life. Don't allow it to seep into your heart and soul and mind. And even with the divine nudge, Cain kills his brother Abel. But still, God promises to protect Cain. He promises his protection even though he's done what is wrong. And then, in the end of chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence to live in the land of Nod, east of Eden. As this progression eastward continues away from the presence of God. And it seems like creation is completely spiraling out of control. And to make things worse, just a little bit later in the story, there's a guy named Lamech. And Lamech comes along and said, well, if Cain is going to be avenged seven times over, then I would have revenge 77 times over. It's like, that wasn't enough. Let's continue to multiply the problem. By the way, if you know the story later on, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? And there's always kind of confusion. Does he say 70 times 7 or 77 times? I would say 100% Jesus says 77 times. And it's a direct reference back to Lamech. As Lamech says 77 times over, I'll seek revenge. It seems like there is this downward spiral as everything is going out of control. Do you remember back to high school, or maybe even junior high if you were really smart, and you learned Newton's laws of motion? 
And one of those laws of motion was an object in motion will remain in motion until or unless it's acted upon by an external force. Like, I don't think Newton meant sin to be a part of that. But I think it's pretty obvious that sin fits that definition pretty well. Creation is spiraling out of control as sin seems to have all power. And then in Genesis 6, it says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of their thoughts of human hearts was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted, grieved that he made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. With them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And it seems like creation gets to this point where God is grieved by it. Why, why is God grieved? Because what he created is good, is now broken and fractured and falling apart. What, what he had hopes to bring beauty to this world is actually perpetuating ugliness and despair. And not hope, but hopelessness. And so God is going to redeem his creation by removing the problem by, by getting rid. But he says there's one that is right. There, there's one that's righteous, this guy named Noah and his family. And he puts them on this ark with the animals, and he uses them. He's going to begin this new creation with them. And, and I think so often we look at the ark as God's divine judgment, but I think there is also a picture of God's divine mercy in it. That this one who is right, who is righteous, is getting this fresh start in this new creation. That God is not giving up on everything, but he's just going to start over with this new family. And right after they come out of the ark, it says that Noah planted this vineyard. And Noah gets drunk, and one of his sons does something detestable. And we don't really get a picture of what that is. But, but you see sin already creeping back in through the garden. This new garden that's formed as Noah plants this vineyard is now once again riddled with sin. And not just riddled with sin, but riddled with the effects of sin, of brokenness, of despair. Because Noah once again finds himself naked and ashamed just as it began in Genesis 3. The story plays over and over and over. You see, humanity had this divine vocation to recreate the world or to create the world in God's image. To be his divine image bearers. But instead, they turn their back on God's goodness and choose to recreate the world in their own image with blame and accusation, 
with brokenness and despair. And if you look back, if you look back at all of the, that brokenness, everything that was wrong in the world, you're going to see dishonesty and loyalty and anger and addiction and abuse and pride and jealousy and lust and selfishness and immorality. The very same things that are at the core of every one of our broken relationships were there from the beginning as sin entered into the picture. Are you starting to see the full impact that sin has on this world? And then ultimately, it gets to a place where it seems like things are out of hand once again. Genesis 11 Verse 1, it says this, Now the world had one language in common speech, and people moved eastward. They found a plain in Sinar and settled there. there. There's this continual move eastward, away from the presence of God. And it happens time and time and time again throughout the story. You see, the garden was the place where they were fully known. It was to be as God created you to be and experience His goodness. And I want you to watch what creation does in verse 4. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. We, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be known. And here's the, the, the tragedy. is in the garden, as they were supposed to be, man and woman were fully known by God. Fully known by one another. And sin has wedged itself into those relationships and split them apart. And now their desire is to be known. But not to be known for what they were created for. See, they were known to be known as God's image bearers. To be a sign of his goodness in the world. And yet instead they're known by blame and accusation. They're known by sin. They're ruled over by sin. And, and you can think, well they want to make a name for ourselves. And we see this so much in our world today. Individually. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be known. But you see it communally as well. As this one people, they wanted to be known in the world. So what is the problem with this world that they have recreated? What is the problem with this broken world that sin seems to reign over? is they've created a world where everyone is always trying to climb over everyone else to get their way. 
to get to the top, to be known, to be right. What is the problem with that world? It reduces people to objects rather than divine image bearers. It refuses to see someone else as made and created in God's image and reduces them to simply an object that you must climb over to get where you are going, to get what you want. What if the scattering of the people in Genesis 11 was again another act of mercy by God? where they couldn't just simply climb over one another again to make a name for themselves. And and at the core of this is one of those words we don't say a lot, we don't talk about a whole lot, but the word sin. And sin keeps us from living out our identity as God's divine image bearers. What, What was the goal from the beginning? To represent God's goodness to his creation. And sin has continued to keep us from doing that. See, and here's the problem, is most of the time when we talk about sin, most people's perception of what we're talking about is simply this. Sin equals a bad or evil person. We we say sin, and, and that means we're talking about a bad or evil person. And so people who don't know Jesus, who don't understand the story that we're a part of, who don't understand the history would say, well, then obviously the opposite would just be a Christian. You're either a sinner or you're a Christian. But here's the thing. As I tell you the story of sin coming into this world and wreaking havoc on the good creation, do you see yourself in the story? Because here's the truth. Every single one of us contribute to the problem. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much you know or how smart you are. You contribute to this problem. That that somewhere there is dishonesty and disloyalty. There is anger. There is addiction. There is abuse. There is pride. There is jealousy. There is lust. There is selfishness. There is immorality that is in all of us that is a part of every single one of our lives. To be a sinner is not to just say, well, you're a bad or evil person. To be a sinner is simply probably just to say that you're human. So what is the problem with sin? And I I think you can see it. But, it, but it's pretty simple. Sin breaks down the relationship with God. And two, sin breaks down a relationship with others. And keep that there for just a second. It breaks down the relationship with God. And it breaks down your relationship with other people. As God begins this new covenant people. And he gives them his law. Think about the very first ten laws he gives them, these ten commandments. The first four 
are simply about our relationship with God. The next six are about our relationship with other people. When Jesus is asked, which is the most important commandment? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus cannot separate these two. The law does not separate the, they are together, they work in concert. It's impossible to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and not love your neighbor as yourself. Sin breaks down a relationship with God and it breaks down a relationship with other people. Sin is the ultimate problem that we have to fix. Sin is the only problem in our world. Because you look across our, our world right now, turn on the news, open up a newspaper, turn on social media, and all you see is brokenness and despair. And I, I hear people all the time say, I can't believe how out of control things are. And it's like, wait, 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 have you read how the story begins? Have you, it's been like this since the beginning. Or at least that's the story we tell. But I want to remind you of something. Because where and how we begin the story shapes and forms the story we're actually telling. Where and how we begin the story shapes and forms the story that we're actually telling. Because the story that we tell to most of the world is we are broken and riddled with sin and you need Jesus to come and heal you of that sin. But the story does not begin in Genesis 3. The story begins in Genesis 1. With God creating this good world and man and woman living in unity and harmony with him the way that it was intended to be. And the hope of Jesus is not that he would just come and get you out of the mess but that he would come and heal you of your mess and allow you to partner with him in bringing healing and redemption to this world. The story we tell is so important that it's not just simply this world is broken and hopeless, but we have the hope of the world in Jesus We, we stand in the center of the mess, so often not as representing God to this world, but still contributing to the problem. See, see before we can get to the good news of this story next week, we kind of have to live in the bad news of this story this week. 
that God intended goodness for his creation. But somewhere along the way, we decided to recreate the world in our image and to allow dishonesty and disloyalty, injustice, lust and immorality, pride and arrogance, anger to form this new world. And here's the thing. If you look around our creation today, you see evidence of it everywhere. That the same brokenness and despair in this journey eastward that began in Genesis continues today. And you can look and say, well, I just, the world is... But here's the thing. And here's where we're going to get to next week, okay? There is hope. You remember that, that law of motion? That object in motion needed an external force to stop its motion? We'll get there next week. But this week, just simply asking the question, in what ways have you contributed to the brokenness and hopelessness in our creation? What, what ways have you experienced or been a part of broken relationships in your life? How have you contributed to them? Have you been a part of them? Right now we're going to come to a table. And it's a table that is formed by forgiveness. A table that's formed around the idea that even though we have done wrong and sinned against God, God still proclaims over you His children, over me His child, that you are forgiven, that you are set free. And it reminds us that there is hope in the midst of this brokenness. So now we come to the table. It is the table of the Lord. It is a table that is open to you who have been here often and to those who have not been here long. It is a table where we join together as God's people, as one, made whole through the body and the blood. Father, we thank you and we're grateful for this time. Father, we are reminded of all of the ways that our sin contributes to the brokenness of your good creation. That it contributes to despair and death. And Father, we're reminded through the body in this bread that you were broken because of us as we contributed and as we have continued to contribute to that brokenness. Father, all of us 
find ourselves equal here at this table. One, joined together through your body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.